0: 1978, Illinois, the Freedom Club begins a 17-year terror campaign, sending bombs indiscriminately targeting whoever associated with tech development or damage to the environment. The Unabomber's 35,000-word manifesto would suggest he had a fair bit to say, yet he waited 15 years to mention any of it. was born in chicago illinois in 1942 and grew up in a household with mum, dad and his little brother david so it was fairly uneventful but later in life in some effort to try and explain his behavior or deficiencies ted's mother explained how he had been a happy baby until he suffered a um strong allergic reaction to some medicine when he was around seven months old he was kept in hospital for a week and separated from his parents his mother claims that after this he became noticeably withdrawn don't articles bang on about his intellect he was clearly a very gifted kid he skipped year six and year eleven So this was a real accomplishment, obviously, but not so good for him socially. So for someone who had always been an outcast and a bit of a loner, he was now much smaller than his classmates and he was further ostracised. He would write in his journals later in life that he was isolated and the other students would taunt him. I'll quickly wrap up um, his youth. By saying at 10 years old, he scored an IQ of 157. He won a scholarship to attend Harvard University at 16 and became the youngest professor of mathematics at the University of California, Berkeley. His parents were really thrilled with his academic achievements and these were a source of esteem for the whole family. It set them apart, above I'd say, others in their working-class neighbourhood. During his time at Harvard, he participated in a study that worked to determine the effects of extreme stress on the human mind. Who, who would put their hand up for that? Anyway, the gist of it is that participants were made to undergo extreme interrogations and be like belittled. Their, their beliefs and their ideas would be hammered and degraded oh my that's rough so it was a controversial study and Kaczynski responded poorly to it it was during his time um, at Harvard as well that he would study positivism so I'd never heard of that before I don't know many people who would have it goes along the lines of there is no logical justification for morality (sighs) bit heavy um he supposedly embraced this way of thinking in uh, I've read so many articles and I made them I did print them all out so I was trying to find the article so I could explain just who said it but bugger me man there's no way I can find it in that mountain so I'll just explain it was written by a dude who had studied at Harvard at the same time like the same course and did know Kaczynski from that time anyhow the, um, the outcome of this positivism is that Kaczynski, if it's completely correct, and he did take to it and um, take on this sort of approach to life, he's effectively someone who goes about life without any ethical constraints, because it's illogical to have them. Oh. I'll have to research that later, I reckon. But logic has never been a strong suit of mine. I don't mind a bit of ethics, though. His performance while teaching at Berkeley. So he became a professor of mathematics. So that means he's teaching. And he was um, erratic, right? He did receive some poor ratings from students who complained that he mumbled during lectures he didn't engage with the students, and was not available during his scheduled office time. So it comes across as he was really avoiding them. He abruptly resigned from the position after two years. So this was in 1969. He didn't give a reason for suddenly quitting. He then returned to Illinois, and lived in a house owned by his parents for a while, before he moved up to a property that he and his brother had purchased near Lincoln, Montana. So his brother David did head up there with him, but didn't take to the lifestyle so much. So he returned back to, I suspect it was Illinois. Um, Ted, though, really did take to it. He went on to live self-sufficiently by hunting and maintaining a small garden. He also had a few handouts though from his family, like some some cash was sent up to him from his brother and his parents. Also, he'll do a few odd jobs around the town. The cabin that he built had no running water or electricity, it was 10 foot by 12 foot. Needless to say, no prisoner has transitioned, easily and quickly to living in a prison cell. I'll explain his two major irks. One was how the Industrial Revolution impacted society and resulted in humans beginning to change their behavior to fit technology, not the other way around. The second gripe was the destruction of nature. I don't know if many people would argue with him on either of those counts the way he went about it though if you're to believe that this was his overarching reason like to commit the crimes he um. either way whether it was whether it wasn't I'll go into that later his approach was to indiscriminately send or in some cases hand deliver bombs to various people who held jobs in Fields that were related to tech progress or damage to the environment. That puts a few people in the firing line, yeah? He had been living on and off um, at the cabin for seven years when the attacks began. So it was during a part of the off time. So he was in back in Illinois when he would, I would say, send his first bomb. But he actually hand-delivered this one. At the time, so in 1978 is when they began, he was back in Illinois and had been working at a plastic foam manufacturing plant with his brother. So Ted had been working there fairly briefly when he asked a co-worker out. So the two of them went on two dates before the woman explained to Ted that she didn't want to see him again socially. He didn't take too kindly to this as if you listen to any of my podcasts they all they all sort of go the same someone thinks you know a slight's been done and they go off the rails after this kaczynski wrote an offensive joke or it says limerick in most of the articles so some sort of offensive uh, poem about her and posted it around the factory this led him to being fired And it was his brother, David, who was the supervisor. So it was David who fired him from that job. This might have been viewed as a snapping point, um, but from most of the timelines that I've read, this happened after, a few months after the first bomb attack. It was in May of 1978, uh, Kaczynski left a parcel bomb in the parking lot of the University of Illinois. It was found and couriered back to the supposed sender, Professor Buckley Christ, who worked at Northwestern University. It was remarkable actually, how Christ became suspicious of the package, so he was he was delivered it because he was supposedly the sender, though he looked at it and thought, "I have not sent." This package also, it wasn't his handwriting. He called for a campus security guard to check it out and the bomb exploded as he opened it. The bomb was weak though luckily and the guard only sustained minor injuries. Kaczynski was really pretty pissed off at this. He couldn't stand that this bomb and those that were immediately following They weren't strong enough to cause fatalities. Early on, he would record in one of his journals how, It is frustrating that I can't seem to make a lethal bomb. He tinkered with them to enhance their potency. He was meticulous to handcraft each one, completed with uh, misleading clues. He never left any fingerprints or any forensic trace for that matter. He would treat the stamps he used on the parcels with soybean oil and salt water which prevented fingerprints as well. The bombs um, really did have a, a nature component to them. They often contained bits of branch bark or twigs as well as they tended to resemble a wooden box typically. One looked like a log of timber there was a book, a cigar box. Um, there was also a lever arch file, though, which was a bit different. Uh, almost a year after this first attack, student, graduate student John Harris was injured. That's when he saw the cigar box um, at the Northwestern University. He was, though, fortunate enough to only be slightly injured from it. Six months later, a bomb was sent and started to smolder in the cargo hold of American Airlines flight 444. This flight had taken off from Chicago and was heading to Washington DC. So there was a big thump and that's what alerted people to the bomb. 12 people suffered smoke inhalation and the flight made an emergency landing at Jules International Airport in Virginia. This bomb had um, been made using barium nitrate, which isn't actually an explosive. It is used in fireworks, but not because of its explosive power, of which it has none. It is used to colour the smoke. It was beyond fortunate that it was not constructed properly or else it would have blown the aircraft out of the sky. And importantly, Kaczynski could not have known what flight or airliner parcel would have been loaded onto. So what does that say about his indifference? Following this bomb, the investigation, the major investigation commenced which went by the codename Unabom, UN for University, A for airline and bomb, you can figure that one out I'd say. Over time the perpetrator would be given the name Unabomber. I have this timeline in front of me that I'm really wondering how much how much to include because I do think it would be quite difficult to follow, to, to explain, but I'll give you um, a real synopsis of it. Over the 17 years, there were 16 bombs attributed to him, 14 that did explode, two that were successfully diffused. There were 23 injuries, some catastrophic, three fatalities. In 1980, though, I will mention a few. So the president of United Airlines was injured. So his name was Percy Wood. He received a parcel. It looked like a book. When he opened it, the bomb exploded and he was injured quite badly. And that was sent to his home. This was the first bomb that contained parts inscribed or stamped with the letters FC. It would go on to be a, what the hell was that, Um, FC, right? This would go on to be a signature of the Unabomber's bomb design, often stamping the end caps of the pipes with the letters. Um, It stood for Freedom Club. And you know that quote, like, is it Groucho Marx? I used to be so good with quotes, but uh, it goes along the lines of, I wouldn't want to be part of any club that would have me as a member. Well, Kaczynski had the opposite mindset. It's like he didn't want to be part of a club where he wasn't the only member. Which, I wouldn't mind your thoughts on that. Because the naming it a club when he had such a history of being an outcast and a solitary figure is pretty interesting, and his letters that he would send always said, we, us, you know, it was pathological how much effort he put into um, coming across as a collection of people. I'll um continue, though. In 1985, Hugh Scrutton became the first fatal victim of the bomber. He was a 38-year-old computer rental store owner, He found a suspicious object in the car park outside the store, which was located in Sacramento. It looked like a log, but uh, with sharp nails coming out of it. So he supposedly went to move it, as obviously it could damage car tyres. The explosion was really powerful and the metal fragments from the bomb impaled his heart. That was in 1985, there was a hiatus of attacks between 1987 and 1993. This is explained by two potential reasons. One was that in 1987, the last attack that took place which was outside a uh, computer store in Utah, he had been spotted by a witness who um, explained just who she saw Uh, A guy with aviator sunglasses hoodie whatever um however tall he was and all that and identikit image was drawn up and circulated so it's often considered that he was thinking like oh fuck i'll lay low for a while also another um, reason could be that over this time he made efforts to see various professionals like mental health professionals to work on his ability to maybe establish a relationship with a woman. But uh, whichever the case is, either one of those or maybe something completely different. In 1993, the bombs really were much more sophisticated. He targeted a geneticist who was injured by the bomb. It was sent to his home The parcel had been brought in from the letterbox by his daughter. There was an attack two days later, so he sent both bombs at the same time, but they were opened two days apart. This bomb-injured computer science professor um, who worked at Yale University, he was at his office at Yale when he opened it and sustained pretty bad injuries. Thomas Mosser was the second victim to die from the attacks. He was an advertising executive and this bomb was sent to his home in New Jersey. He had been mentioned by an environmental magazine and the magazine had incorrectly identified him as someone in charge of improving Exxon's public image following its uh, oil spill disaster. So it's... Very, very tragic that supposedly Kaczynski read this and thought that he was indeed responsible with sweeping up this major disaster, sweeping it under the carpet and trying to repair Exxon's image. The bomb caused horrific damage, almost severing his head from his body. And his wife, Susan, so Thomas Moss's wife, Susan, witnessed the blast. Four months later, Gilbert Murray would be the third and final fatality of the Una bomber. So this was now in 1995. He was the president of the California Forestry Association. The parcel had been sent to the previous president. So he had not worked there. The previous president had left a year earlier. The details Kaczynski had used were from an out-of-date directory. I hope... To, well, I mean, he, we already know that his whole approach is rip-shit or bust, but just... There, there's another example of it. Gilbert Murray was killed by a bomb sent just days following the Oklahoma City bombing that killed 180, uh, 168 victims and injured over 800. So Timothy McVeigh, one of the two men behind that attack, deliberately carried it out on the anniversary of the Waco tragedy. So the Oklahoma City bombings, uh, bombing, for those people who may have forgotten, was politically motivated. McVeigh was a, a staunch defender of the Second Amendment, the right to keep and bear arms i can't find my piece of paper with all my information but i'll try there's no way i'm going to pause this right now he along with the waco siege there was also an event ruby ridge which i did look at i did uh, read about but i certainly don't know enough about to really comment on in you know i wouldn't be able to explain it well enough between those two events, as well as the nineteen ninety four restrictions of gun laws in the USA, McVeigh really felt that the government was trying to disarm the public, and this was so. The bombing stemmed from this ideology of his. So I think that it's really telling that Kaczynski would after you know after this guy comes he attacks, he is in the media and he is someone with a, an ideology behind him that Kaczynski would hit again and start writing letters. I hope I'm not bouncing all over the place but the 1993 attacks, this is when he first sent a letter, this was to the New York Times Along the lines of, we are an anarchist group calling ourselves FC. Ask the FBI about FC. They have heard of us. We will give you information about our goals at some future time. And then that's it. Like for two years. It wasn't until 1995 that he would communicate again. He wrote, was it four letters? He wrote some taunting letters. One to his victim, one one of his victims, who he called a tech nerd, and he wrote a letter to to demand. Of some people, um, some articles are like to offer. No, it was more so a demand. It went along the lines of publish my manifesto or our manifesto. I he would have worded it. In a respectable publication, and we will stop sending bombs designed to kill. We, of course, referring to the Freedom Club. We can't make any promises, though, about bombs that are designed to damage property. The demand was, yeah, three months to publish it, preferably in the New York Times, or, you know, he would settle for the Washington Post or Time magazine. They added that we demand three follow-up publications, so one a year, where we can rebut any criticisms of the manifesto. If you don't publish it, we will send a more powerful bomb than ever. In one of the letters as well, he wrote how the FBI was a joke and that, quote, we could blow up a building if we wanted to. (laughs) No wonder investigators felt it was slipping and uh, would stuff up before too long. The public were not entirely supportive of the move to publish it. They felt it was pandering to the demands of a maniac and could set a sort of dangerous precedent for others who might expect the same. But the FBI felt that the threat was too dangerous to reject the offer slash demand also they were banking on some leads and did they get them i won't get ahead of myself though i'll explain how um ideally ted kaczynski wanted the manifesto yeah printed in the new york times as i said the post time magazine in a pinch get this uh lo and behold penthouse offered to publish it like <laughs> what a slap in the face that would have been <laughs> Um, Kaczynski rejected the offer but came back with the sort of counter-offer that if it were to be published in Penthouse the FC would send one more bomb designed to kill someone. Then Penthouse declined or withdrew that offer. The Washington Post ended up publishing uh, the manifesto and the New York Times and Washington Post uh, split the cost. So there were various reasons behind that along the lines of I think the Times was only a Saturday newspaper at the time. They didn't want to publish it on a Saturday. Also the Washington Post had the capabilities like the factory, the printing factory had the capabilities of printing out that level, that amount of text and there certainly was a fair bit of it which I'll go into very soon. The title of the manifesto is Industrial Society and its Future and that edition of the newspaper sold 1.2 million copies though I don't know how that compares to what their their general sort of um, amounts were. I hope the uh, moment of glory was worth it for Kaczynski because the publication of the manifesto would be a real game over for him. There were thousands of tips that flooded in daily for months. One of those tips was from a man called David Kaczynski. He and his wife, Linda Patrick, had individually, so they had each individually recognised the content of the manifesto as precisely the issues and concerns that Ted would bang on about. The family supplied documents and letters written by Ted Kaczynski for the FBI to do a linguistic comparison with the manifesto. David and Linda and other family members were desperate that the analysis would uh, rule him out, but it didn't. It was in April of 1996 that investigators descended on his cabin. So FBI agents had been swarming the small town for a while and they were waiting and hoping that Kaczynski would leave his property, maybe visit the library, which was something that he did enjoy doing. They pretty much became like, well, jack of that though and used a ruse involving his property line. So they spoke to a local who shared with them that Kaczynski had a sensitivity about any issues involving his property line. So they got someone to approach the cabin, knock on the door, explain that there's a problem with the property line. Kaczynski walked out and bam, he was apprehended and taken to another property when uh while the evidence was collected uh, and the evidence right so they collected mountains of it around 40,000 pages of journals sort of alternative versions of the manifesto bomb parts bomb making supplies as well as a completed bomb ready to be mailed like I think he was actually wearing one of those Arrow shirts, saying, I'm with Unabomber. like, how incriminating is that shit? Having just uh, mentioned how incriminating it all was, there was a foregone conclusion that he would be found guilty, so the defence team assessed their options and decided on an insanity plea. (sighs) Kaczynski wasn't having that. So he... Saw himself and some other people do as well as a revolutionary scholar like there was fuck all chance that uh, all of his writings would become you know discredited because if he was found to be insane people would just put them down to the ramblings of a nut job Kaczynski fought it he um tried to fire his I think he did fire some of his um defense team and then decided he wanted to represent himself. There was a suicide attempt by hanging. And in the end, a plea bargain was established where he could plead guilty to 13 federal bombing offences that killed three and seriously injured two others, and acknowledge responsibility for 16 bombings in exchange for life in prison without the possibility of parole. Uh, so he's currently serving out that sentence at the Supermax Security Prison in Florence, Colorado. And that put an end to one of the longest and most costly investigations in US history. Just quickly, Ted Kaczynski was not meant to ever find out that it was his brother who contacted the FBI. The FBI had given the family their word But this information was leaked early on. Yeah, that's a bit of a tragedy. Not only for the family, but um, the FBI was livid thinking that in the future, people are going to be less willing to come forward with information when shit like that happens. Right, please stick around. I'll be back in like five seconds with some more information from a few interesting articles I found while researching this maybe a couple of my own musings but I'll keep them to a minimum alright see you soon right did I comment about how much grief the research has given me man I just thought to myself like how much more pain do I want to be in here I am about to bang on about two articles and share the contents and the insights, whatever. And I thought, hmm, maybe not. You know, that could be a real investment and people could very well disagree with me. So I'll just recommend that you guys check out these two following documents. And um, I'll be more than happy to discuss them with anyone. One is called Ideology or Insanity? Media representation of Ted Kaczynski and Tim McVeigh. It is by Matthew Sheptoski from the Western Michigan University. The other article is from the New Republic. It was written by Maggie Scarfe. It is called The Unabomber pleaded guilty 16 years ago today. Both are in the show notes. I um... So a real welcome change from the relentless onslaught of articles conveying, ka, ka, oh, conveying Kaczynski, why do I try, C- conveying Kaczynski as you know, predominantly a social critic, you know, I- intellect, genius, all that sort of stuff, which I'm not saying he isn't, at least a social critic and a bloody clever guy, but it seems a bit off to me that um, the breaking point was after reading an article and the thread of comments that followed. Some dude, like, I, I, um, I can't find it now, nor do, I didn't put too much effort into finding it to tell you the truth, but this guy was pushing how important the messages are that are in the manifesto, and sort of ignoring comments from those who suggested that other scholars cover these issues too, and often better. It turns out that the guy um had the power of attorney for Ted Kaczynski, so there is way too much spin like with this case. I will explain though quickly, if you don't mind, why I'm fairly cross about it. Because the contents of the manifesto and the messages are right up my alley. Before beginning the Nightmare Somewhere podcast and giving that a go, I spent the whole of last year and some of the previous year researching persuasive technology, you know, things like notifications, involuntary updates, all of those little techniques that bring you back to the screen. Also, I was interested in privacy and surveillance. So... The, the messages are something that I would have a shitload of time for. But one thing I struggled with in a big way was how when I was a teenager and I did a little bit of research into the Unabomber, man, I could have sworn, it must be my bloody memory because it is useless, but I thought that the bombings were an escalation and sort of he had explained what his grievances were and what his demands were and what his ambition was, his ideology, you know. I thought he would led with that and then the bombings were not so much intended to injure and kill. Anyway, I really bloody romanticised it, right? I'll just put it like that. What really struck me was how he didn't explain what his grievances were for 15 years. I thought, what the fuck is that about? Please get in contact with me if you can explain it because I did read it in a few places. Like Kaczynski even explained how, you know, it was essential to be violent and injure people so the manifesto would be published or something like that and so did the guy who had power of attorney he was banging on about how you know no one would have listened to the freedom club had they not committed these violent crimes and I'm not I'm not sold on that at all particularly 15 years of it I uh as I said, I did a. I even. I designed an entire syllabus for teaching persuasive technology in the classroom. You know, the use of Google, things like facial recognition cameras. Like, I was mental for this shit. I think that the articles do perpetuate the misconception, this notion that he was fighting for these causes. When I'm sort of of the opinion that he just wanted to kill people. And then thought, yikes, you know. Oh, where's the quote? There is a quote. So in his um journal, he wrote as much. He wrote something along the line. I've got so many bits of paper in front of me. Um, He wrote something along the lines of, I'm doing this for nothing other than personal revenge. If I do get caught, well, I guess they're going to make me out to be a nutter. So it might be a good opportunity to shine a light on the technology debate. So that made me a bit curious. I thought, hmm, sus. Also, amping up his the bombing and the manifesto right after the Oklahoma City bombing, that to me was suspicious to me it the ego all I could think about was does that not scream ego a bit like the manifesto itself did I explain how I read it it was a couple of weeks ago now but I printed it out like I print out everything because I'm a bloody idiot and I think that I can keep track of where it all is but it was 65 pages and when I got to the The supplementary notes. So at the end, toward the end, after the bulk of it, there is some sort of cross-referencing system where if you want more information about paragraph 43, you know, here's some more information. And that's when I was like, the 420 must be bloody flat out at the Kaczynski cabin. There was no off switch at all. It was relentless. More, more, you know. I've written a fair few letters, you know, to politicians, newspapers. Last year I wrote to the the head of the security and intelligence committee. I've written to so many ministers. I swear I'm blacklisted. Sometimes I'm articulate. Sometimes I'm mental. I had a shit day at work once and I... Wrote a letter to the education minister saying that every every student needs a kite. <laughs> oh, shit. Oh, yeah. So, as you can see, like, I'm pretty tapped myself. Although I had brought in kites that day. So many kids had never flown one. And I work at disadvantaged schools. And um, they, they were really into the kites. They loved them. And I thought, God, how symbolic. Anyway, I'm getting off the subject. What I'm saying is when I wrote to these various people or the newspaper, I would be mindful of who the audience is. You know, I wanted their letters to be understood, wanted them to be read. I wanted to get a fucking reply. The Unabomber's manifesto, though, to me, like, tell me if you disagree, but it doesn't seem to have been written for readability. The length of it, 35,000 words, and the quantity of issues that are dealt with, it's just astronomical. To me, I just thought, this seems to be written for himself or people just like him. You tell me if Mr and Mrs Average wake up in the morning and open the newspaper and begin to dissect a manifesto of that length, And look, he might have been writing for himself and people who were of a similar sort of education, whatever. But if you're trying to initiate social change and enlighten the general public, you know, wouldn't the general public be the target audience? To me, that was strange as well. I'm going to leave it there because I've got a few things that I thought was strange, but it sucks because... This quote, right? Where are you? He obviously wrote this before the digital age. I wouldn't mind getting your opinion on it. In the manifesto, he wrote, and this is a quote, technology is a more powerful social force than the aspiration for freedom. Like, pretty insightful, I'll say it again, technology is, I'll, I'll actually just take out a few words to make it really, really comprehensive. Technology is a more powerful force than the desire for freedom. Anyone out there with a Google Home, is it, or one of those smart homes, just so many things out there right when people know that they're really they're trading a lot of their privacy and a lot of their autonomy because that technology it's worth it to them like it's worth the trade so and this is written in who knows when what year he wrote that particular phrase so it sucks the whole thing. Oh, and I'll share this with you. In that the ideology or insanity thesis, John Douglas, right? You'd know him. I'd say you know the, uh, he was former FBI agent. He developed the whole profiling technique. In regards to the Unabomber, this is his. This was his opinion. He is a hate fueled obsessive. Who uses his ideology as a cover for his will to dominate? Ouch. Right, leaving it there. Please take care. Let me know. You can uh, reach me on nightmare somewhere at mail.com or you can send me a voice message. I'll put the link in the show notes. I'd love to hear from you. I could bang on about this for a long, long time. But instead, I have got like six tonnes of minestrone that I need to find space for in the fridge. Alright, catch you later for now. Bye.